Yeah, I'll just give you a kind of overview, overview to understand anxiety from the perspective of a clinical psychologist, which is what I am. So what I'll particularly talk about is some of the sorts of things we do in our minds that make anxiety a bit worse. Um, but we all do, it's incredibly common. And someone's Okay. Does anyone know who this is? It's not a current student. <laughs> recognition of who this is. This is Charles Darwin. Um, and he actually, as a debate in the medical literature, uh, suggested that he had panic disorder. He had, had panic attacks and uh, you know, had significant levels of anxiety. So there's one view that you know, he suffered broken from anxiety. Yet he had a fairly successful career, I think, would agree. Um, and the highlight of that was a lot of his book that he published on the origin of species. Um, but several years after that, he, he, a much lesser known book was published of his, but it was actually very influential, called The Expression of the Emotions in Man and Animals. Um, book covers are a bit different from those days. Uh, but this is not someone taking exams, this is an illustration of terror, uh, which is, happens, as, as Darwin said, in man and animals. And you can see there that the person's pupils are dilated, that eyebrows raised, that nostrils are flared, and the latest research indicates that helps us see better and smell better when we're anxious. And there's a nice description in the book of the eyes and mouth are widely opened and the eyebrows raised. The frightened man at first stands like a statue, motionless and breathless, or crouches down as if instinctively to escape observation. The heart beats quickly and violently, the skin instantly becomes pale, the perspiration exudes from it, the hairs on the skin stand direct, the mouth becomes dry. These sorts of feelings should be fairly familiar to all of us. Do you want to know who the chap on the left is? I feel very old and dated if you don't. I am old and dated, but. No recognition of this person at all? Have a guess. He's a very old like you. He's on totally quite a lot of scales, isn't he? It's Michael Payne, Monty Python, Trouble Dogs, Eddie Ring Bells. Okay, I'm so old. Anyway, when I wrote a book on anxiety, uh, I used an excuse to go and meet people who I quite admired in some ways. The, the, the uh, way we tried to justify it was saying, well, if you're in a high-profile position, you must have to know how to deal with anxiety, so it gives a chance to go meet some famous people. And he was very eloquent on this. And he said, anxiety doesn't ever go away. It's not suddenly a sunlit plateau where you're never anxious about anything. It just takes different shapes and forms. My anxiety levels seem to go up more and obviously scrutinised. When we're doing the travelling for the documentaries and I'm meeting people to go along, people think that's incredibly difficult. I don't mind that. That's fine. It's when you suddenly have, right, you've got to do a piece to camera. If you get something wrong, they say, try again. I think you're slightly hard about this. And then the anxiety begins to build up. Now, when you think of anxiety, there are three main sort of areas we think about. We think about what goes on in the mind. And you tend to have anxious thoughts, worrying thoughts, you worry, and the thoughts get a bit racing. And also you feel a bit dizzy in your head as well. And then there's all of these changes in the body. And it's something the autonomic nervous system is activated. This is a system preparing us to fight or flight. Because anxiety is all about responding to danger. So our muscles will tense up ready for action, our heart beats faster, and we will spire. Um, 
Again, this is incredibly common thing this thing have. Um, and then it also affects our behaviour. And most typically what anxiety does to us in our behaviour is try to get us to avoid what we're fearful of. We want to get out of that room. We want to avoid whatever it is making anxious. That's what anxiety about affects your mind, your body and your behaviour. And of course, one of the triggers for anxiety are things that are stressful, such as exams. Um, because anxiety is about reacting to danger, and there are threats inherent in these situations. There's threats inherent in many uh, things in the environment. And this is a, a student survey uh, from Scotland in the US survey, and students were listing exams and assessments as the most uh, stressful experience, the most common. More students reporting exams as stress than anyone. It is a stress, it's naturally a stressor. So it's not surprising, most students feel some anxiety exams. Um, there's quite a interesting study that I, I found that was with Karen in Oxford, and what they did, they assessed students when they were applying to university on how anxious they felt in general. Um, and then they did a couple of thousand students, and uh, quite a large number of them went on to study at Oxford. So they could then look to see how the anxiety before university predicted outcome. And unsurprisingly, if you said you were a bit more anxious, uh, you actually then got more anxious at the time of exams. That makes sense. If you're a slightly more anxious person, exams make you even more anxious. Um, but it had no effect on certainly men's exam performance. Didn't matter what the levels of anxiety were, had no bearing to the exam outcome. But for women, the higher anxiety actually predicted better performance. So anxiety wasn't actually going against their work, it seems obviously probably motivate people to work harder, repair more. It didn't actually go against. Anxiety wasn't affecting performance. It's the dodo. And the point is, if we didn't get anxious, we would end up like the dodo. The dodo wasn't primed of humans. So if you don't get anxious, that's a real problem. We all get anxious. We have to get anxious. It's what we call a basic emotion. It shows up very early in babies. It's hardwired. It's your warning system for danger. So it's incredibly important. You all have to have it, and you will all experience it from time to time. However, we all differ a bit how easily it's activated. We all differ in our general background level anxiety. I'm sure you know this from your friends, you know, know some people who never seem to show any sign of it, while some people are much more fearful and tense. There's a spectrum of severity of, of, of anxiety. Um, so, what explains that? Well, there's certainly a genetic contribution. So, we know across the population the differences in level of anxiety, 30 to 40% of that is due to our genes. So, we're slightly born at different level of anxiety. But our environment has a bigger role because that 70, 60 to 70% is down to the environment, which means we learn anxiety. Um, and we can learn it from bad things happening to us, which is called conditioned learning. So if you get bitten by a dog, understand that you may then be more fearful next time. And when you've had really bad things happen to you, you all get anxious. If you're attacked or mugged or those sorts of things, you're going to feel anxious. It's incredibly understandable and you will be more fearful of those situations. So we can learn our anxiety directly from having bad experiences. But actually what's even more common 
because we just learn it from uh, those around us. When we learn it from the information we read, we see it in the reactions of people's faces. It's called vicarious learning. Um, one very good illustration of this is a study where parents and their toddlers are going into a room and they're shown things like a, a rubber snake. Half of the parents are told to be really happy and really pleased to see this snake, isn't that wonderful? And half are told to act really anxious and fearful. And if the toddler sees the next time, you can predict their reaction from what their parents did before. We pick up our fears from those around us. Those are kind of some of the general uh, perspectives on how anxiety uh, occurs. What I'm going to pick on now are some of the processes that, that tend to make us a bit more anxious than perhaps we need to be. Uh, that exaggerate and keep some of our anxieties going a bit stronger than we need to. But again, it's the background that all of us are anxious on time. Sometimes it's perfectly appropriate, it's normal. And, you know, most of us during our lives deal with anxiety often on a day to day basis. It is part of being human. And also, it is, as I said, I can say about the, the, the stuff about the body, it feels horrible as an emotion. It's designed to warning you. It feels horrible. And, you know, a bit like Michael Palin was saying, that it doesn't go away necessarily as you get older. Some of it diminishes a little bit, but we all face it at these two lives. But these sorts of things I'm going to talk about tend to make it a bit worse. Um, but firstly, let's have a bit of participation. What I'm going to do is going to pick one of you, I'm going to pick one of you from the audience here, who's going to come up to the front and tell us something an embarrassing experience they've had for 60 seconds are going to make everyone laugh, okay? So I'm going to pick someone from the audience to do this. I'll give you a few seconds just to collect your thoughts. Okay, don't worry, I'm not actually going to pick anyone. But I am going to ask three typical psychologist questions. What sort of thoughts run through your mind then? Even though I think I'm probably constantly embarrassing myself, um, when you ask the question, put it on the spot, my mind just goes blank. It's why can't I think of any embarrassing stories? So you start to worry that you couldn't think of anything? Yeah. What other thoughts do people have? What if you don't make anybody laugh? Yes. <laughs> what do you think? What would that, what would that feel like? Embarrassing. <laughs> so you I might just go up here and die on the stage. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Thinking it was definitely going to be me that was back. <laughs> and then I just thought, Does that feel good or bad? Not, not so great. <laughs> Did anyone get mildly anxious at this point? Slightly a bit worried, yeah. What's with any other thoughts? Just share. Um, any images go through your mind at this point? Do anyone have any visions of what it, or images in the head of what it might look like being up here, being picked? Can you like a few ones? No? Okay, did you have an image? Well, I think I just visualised you picking me and standing there, sort of looking blank. Okay, when you had that image, how did that, how did that feel? Um, yeah, quite nerve-wracking. Okay. And lastly, did anyone do anything to try and not be picked? 
it's crucial, then mind is elsewhere, or you know, whatever. You know. It's the misinterpretations that drive anxiety. But also, crucially, are things what we call safety behaviours. So if you're frightened of a mouse and you climb up on the chair, you think, oh, I saved myself. The mouse didn't eat me because I stood on the chair. But what we didn't find out by staying on the ground is nothing would have happened. And it's a bit like here, you're worried about you wouldn't be able to perform if you came out to give this, this, this task to, to everyone here. And if you avoid it, you never find out that you could have done it and everything would be fine. And the classic one when people are anxious is they feel dizzy and lightheaded and they think they're going to faint. And so they, 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 they sit down, they hold on to things, do everything to stop themselves fainting at that point. However, when you're very anxious, you can't faint because actually you've got high blood pressure. There's one exception to that, that's, that's, that's blood injury. If you see blood, people can faint then. All the other times when you get anxious, it's because you've got high blood pressure. You don't fight faint with high blood pressure. It's a misinterpretation of these, of these uh, symptoms of, of faintness. So every time we basically avoid our fears, we're doing a safety behavior. We don't find out would it be better than we fear. And then images can be very powerful conveyors of emotion. We differ normally. It's quite a, some people have lots of images, some don't. If you're a bit anxious, sometimes you get images of things going wrong, yourself looking. There's this example. This person thinks they're looking terrible, basically. And then they're in a room and they feel like that. They feel everyone notices how dreadful they look. And they use that image as information that there's a threat. They feel more anxious. And this can flash through our minds. It's another process. Um, I could like a volunteer for this one. It's easy, don't worry. Volunteer for this next step. Could do it from the chat. Thank you. Okay. Um, what I'm going to do is, this is very simple. I'm going to show you this. What I want you to do is just say as quickly as you can the colours that the words are written. <laughs> <laughs> That's as quickly as you can. Okay. Blue, red, green, yellow, green, black, red, blue. Excellent. Everyone have a go together then? Blue, red, green, yellow, green, black, red, blue. Okay, I'll volunteer to do another set of words now. Are you ready? Red. themselves, and that means they're more likely to spot stuff, 
you might notice the, the, the stirrings of anxiety and unusual sensations inside you because you're not focused on the external world. You're more, your mind is tuned to detect any signs of threat, which means it magnifies it. Um, here's an example of the power of attention. Um, what we need to do now is focus now on the soles of your feet. See what you can feel as a text on the soles of your feet. Have a go. What can you feel on the soles of your feet now? Do people get on? Did anyone not think of my best? 
Yeah. Oh, what's that? How do you do that? Well, I think I've left cats instead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But for most of us, why that has probably cropped up. The more we try to suppress thoughts, they tend to rebound, come up again. And that means um, thought suppression actually can make these anxious thoughts even worse. Um, so these sorts of things can make anxious misinterpretations of what's going on worse. Um, but the good news about this is that it does also mean you can gain much more control. So I'll talk about what the implications are this for actually dealing with anxiety. But most of them are fairly obvious, really, I think. Um, that you, know, you have to test out the fears. You probably try to need to avoid the safety behaviours. If you've got images, you need to work on them. And you need to shift your focus minimise worry a bit, and don't worry about suppressing, because after all, these thoughts are ina inaccurate. Why do we have to worry about them at all? Um, I'll do this briefly. There are typically considered six main anxiety disorders. Um, most common is phobias. Um, people the most common ones are of animals, then heights, <coughs> uh, and then uh, phobias about blood. And it's only the blood phobias, is, is the only one where there's a dip in blood pressure in made faint. Every, every other anxiety disorder, our blood pressure is raised. The social anxiety is where we fear we're going to look foolish or humiliated in front of other people. Um, and that can include sort of anything uh, from public speaking, so using the like, urine in public, things like that. Then uh, there's a sort of way of a huge crisis where there's sort of 10, 15 minutes of great exacerbation of anxiety symptoms. OCD, uh, where a person has troubling thoughts and tries to neutralise them, so they might fear about getting infection and therefore wash their hands excessively or feel that they might have left their doors unlocked and the gas taps on and they might have to keep repeatedly checking. Um, there's something called generalised anxiety disorder, which is basically just chronic worry, uh, where many different worries are constantly going around in the mind. And then there's something that's uh, an anxiety disorder that's linked to having really bad things happen to you. Traumatic events lead to something called PTSD. Um, these are all incredibly prevalent. At any one time, in any year, probably around 16% of the population have an anxiety disorder. These things are rife. Incredibly common. And that's not surprising because anxiety is a basic emotion, it's something we should all have, it just means that some of us have a bit more of it than we'd rather like. But this is such common stuff. Um, there are various treatments, there are some medications that are used in the short term, but most medications are short term use because, well, it differs depending on the medication, but sometimes it's tolerance issues. But actually, it's more because if you really want to get reduced anxiety, there's certain uh, psychological treatments such as CBT uh, that can help deal with things very well. The, the, the effects are, are large and, and, and last. This is a, one of the founders, some called Aaron Beck, uh, but actually Univ uh, had a, a former fellow, David Clark, in the psychology department now, who's, who's helped revolutionise treatments for many of these conditions, uh, have really great treatments for them. And the sorts of things that are based on those processes that I was talking about, one of the most obvious things, if you have a fearful thought, you test them. You don't avoid, you try and drop those safety behaviours, you don't put your gaze away from them, you think, well, I'll give it a go and find out. So if you've got a fear of spiders, then gradually you find out what it's like having contact with them. You can start off very basic level to the pictures of spiders, 
of the spider in a jar, and then eventually you want to put the spider out of the jar, and then you want to have a hand. You want to find out whether your fears of this spider you know, running up and going in your ear and you know, burying there and never coming out, you need to find out whether this is going to happen. If an anxious thought, the best thing is to do, well, find out. Let's find out. This is only about fears that are probably unrealistic. This is not about, you know, is, it, is it safe to go down a really dodgy street late at night? You know, on the whole, probably best not to do that. This is about unrealistic fears. And when they're unrealistic, you need to spend time finding out. And what will happen is you'll learn that the fear, that the, the anxious thought wasn't right. And you'll still often feel that horrible anxiety emotion. Well, that will diminish over time. It will come down once you test out the thoughts, once you fully test it. So if, if you're really worried that, that, that you're going to faint, you feel like you're in a panic, that you're going to faint, rather than actually sitting down and all these sorts of things and avoiding it, what you might actually do, the therapist might do, is, well, let's really see. Let's see if you're going to faint. Let's stand on one leg. Let's do everything to see whether it's possible. Let's really test out that fear. Let's, you know, take the sting out of these anxious thoughts by showing actually this worst isn't going to happen. So rather than avoid that, going to that party where you fear you're going to you know, have a terrible time, go. And even, you know, do the opposite. You know, if you feel that others are, it's going to involve you. And make a real effort to be, you know, the, the friendly, happy, humorous person and involve people and just give it a go. You know, almost take it and see what happens. Um, and Another tip that I use with, with, with people who worry too much is just constrain worry. But we use something called a worry period where, okay, don't have to give up worry, but let's constrain it. Let's do only 20, 30 minutes a day at a set time and do it in an uncomfortable place. So not doing it lying on the sofa watching television because that's rather, rather rewarding, isn't it, to apply there. The point is, you know, go somewhere slightly uncomfortable and do your worry there. The rest of the time, note it down so you can worry about it. It's not saying never worry, it's just constrain it. And writing down is very good, so there's evidence that when you're feeling, you've had bad things, you're feeling very anxious, just writing them down in a journal or whatever is really helpful. Just doing a bit of, just describing how you feel. Don't ruminate on paper, but just say, well, I'm feeling anxious about this, I'm fearful of it. Just describe it, write it down. Get your fears out on a piece of paper. You screw it up, burn it, whatever. Get rid of it, fine. But sometimes just writing these things down can help lessen our, our levels of anxiety. Um, because partly, you know, our fears build up in our minds, we don't check them out, we avoid. And yet sometimes sharing them with others or writing them down actually does have a significant effect. It's only good scientific evidence for this. Um, and ideally switch attention. Rather than walking into that room full of strangers thinking, oh my God, how am I going to come across? Aren't I going to be an idiot? What you really want is your mind focused on the good things, thinking, well, there might be some really interesting people that I might have a conversation with someone that I'm quite looking forward to. If you switch your focus of attention to that, you'll have a much better time. You're almost turning off the threat system to, to, to focus on the good stuff. Um, and well, I do this myself sometimes, is, is, you know, we're always focused on the negative. Well, let's switch it around. Sometimes you just ask yourself, what's going right for me right now? So, what's going right for you right now? Switch our focus of attention. Something positive right now. It's sunny outside. It's sunny outside. <laughs> That's good. That's going right, right for you right now. Only one more day till weekend. One more day till weekend.
Let's really switch to the positive. My shoes haven't rubbed. Shoes haven't rubbed. It's <laughs> good. Not working. Not working. Got <laughs> <laughs> some chocolate in the room. Got some chocolate in the room. It's nice. So, it's a good question. One of the reasons people worry is they think it serves a purpose. Yeah. And the main thing I think it does, it, it motivates me or it prepares me for the worst, and then I'm prepared. Yeah. This is what we call positive beliefs that worry. So we engage in worry, even though sometimes it feels uncontrollable, we're actually embracing it because we think we're sorting something out. And of course, some of that's fine, you know, it's not like, you know, we're just worried from time to time and do that. However, it's not the optimal strategy, because like when I dropped this, this thing, it's only going to lead you to the worst place. So if you really want to prepare, what you do is problem solve. You, you write down what the problem is, you think of the different solutions, and you weigh up the advantages and disadvantages of each. So you need a much more balanced approach to dealing with problems. So of course, you know, one has to consider dangers. You know, we all need those conversations, and, and, and at life we have to, you know, we make up decisions about risk and anxiety. Um, there are real dangers out there. 
That's why arrangements sometimes, that's why we've got an anxiety system. But it's about making sure our thoughts about the situations are realistic, and we do also have to prepare. And if it's worries about exams would be the classic one, we could worry about it, and that may motivate us a bit. That's probably why the, you know, that finding about women's results was, was happening. But that's, that's a hard way to getting yourself to work more, isn't it? You know, it's not the easiest route to do it. Um, and actually, it's going to probably make the whole experience a bit worse. But actually, if, you're, if, if you then think, well, the problem is I may not work enough that I need to, then you need to think of that as a problem and find solutions for it and find out what the best thing in response to that is. So it's a more even-handed way up. I'm not saying occasionally a worry might help you think of thirty and thought about a little bit of that is fine, but not too much of that. If there's a problem, it's better to use a problem-solving strategy. Um, well, you know what? Share it with a friend, get their perspective. Speak to family friends about it. And that's often a good way of doing it. Um, does that... Yeah. So I'm elaborating that. So what typically happens to people who worry too much is they have all these positive beliefs about worry, yet also at the same time it triggers all these negative thoughts. Oh my god, my mind is spiraling, I'm gonna forget things, I'm gonna get out of control, I'm gonna get mad here, aren't I? Oh god, I get so anxious. So there's this this combination of positive and negative thoughts about worry, and that makes the whole experience much more distressing. People end up worrying about worry. Um, and that's that's you know. Worry is harmless, really, but people end up worrying about it. Um, but we give ourselves permission to worry because we think it helps. And it's fine to live of course, but it's too much of these things, that's the problem. So imagery, and the reason this, this picture of Ronaldo is here, because he's using imagery before he takes three kicks. He's visualising exactly what's going to do. Sportsmen do it a lot. Um, but, you know, you have to spend time thinking about exactly how this positive event is going to happen. You need to think about it through your eyes, not someone looking at you. When we're anxious, we often think about how others are observing us. If we're doing proper visualisation of success, we need to think about how it looks to us from our perspective. Um, this is one new concept. Is it five a day or seven a day now or ten a day for your physical health? Uh, there's also an idea of five a day for your mental health, but I think... Um, this is a kind of government report from a few years ago, and uh, it makes five suggestions for uh, things for our mental uh, health and well-being. These are connect, which basically means connect with other people. Um, oops, be physically active, take notice, be curious, be curious, live in that moment. As you're walking along, notice those trees and the colours of things and the buildings. Oxford is it's fantastic for being taking notice of things around you. You'd be really sort of mindful in the moment and see some amazing stuff. You'll, there'll be sculpture and stuff that you haven't noticed before if you look around for it. Um, I, I was walking around in, in not that long ago, and someone I was walking around probably thinking about work problems and stuff, and I heard someone talking to someone else. Isn't it interesting how that house there is much older and sits in the middle and has a bit more character than that house over there? I just switched my attention to have a look, and it's great. I saw a whole new perspective on those buildings in the street. You know, it's contagious. Um, keep learning. I'm sure you're getting enough of that. So you don't have to worry about that so much. Um, and also give. That's, that's one of the a great ways for our own well-being is to give to others. Help them out. This is a small thing. You don't have to hand over your bank account or anything like that. It's just, you know... Doing things for other people. It's a great way of also feeling good for yourself. 
Um, and the general things I often think about is activities are crucial, um, but it's intention on the activity rather than yourself. Um, and one of the best things about the best state, and I'm sure you've all had this, is something called flow. You're so engaged in activity, you actually lose the sense of self. That's sometimes when we're the happiest, we're not actually conscious of ourselves. So if you can do activities, you can focus on the good bit about them, rather than our performance or how we are feeling at the time. That's the best thing. So activities are crucial. But also the basics, um, getting our circadian rhythms right, making sure we're getting good and regular sleep, that we're eating regularly, reasonably healthy is a physical activity. Getting exposure to light is great. All that sort of stuff. These are very simple things, but they can go out the window. And of course there are times where you're going to start late and do all these things that, that you do, and that's fine, of course, and you can't all live complete dull lives. But you want you know, times of stress or whatever, then it is actually more important to establish a good rhythm. Um, you know, the basic idea is the Earth is several billion years old, it's been rotating on the sun, it, you know, 24 hours has been going on its axis, and that in our cells are lots of basic body clocks. Um, and as soon as uh, they monitor the, 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 the temperature or sleep, all these sorts of things, we need sometimes to pay a bit more attention, get more regular rhythms. Um, see how dull I can be. Organic food, nice healthy meals. Um, and crucially, when thoughts go through our heads, they're not necessarily facts. We can get caught up in our thoughts and treat them as more accurate than they necessarily are, test them out, and once you're sure that these anxious thoughts aren't probably accurate, then you don't need to suppress them, you just let them go. Every day you're having you know, hundreds, thousands of thoughts that just pass through your mind without, you know, you, you remember them. There's no reason particularly why fearful thoughts need to have, you know, get more attention than these other thoughts. Try and avoid avoidance, particularly other people. Use these social support, share fears, it helps, it really does. Um, you're also finding you're probably not alone with these sorts of thoughts. Try and limit the amount of worry and rumination that you do, and if you can, switch that focus to the positive stuff around you. Um, running back to Michael Palin, who most of you don't know, <laughs> but he said something I thought it's very wise. He said, People see people like myself, he's got a success, very successful career, and they say, You're the best job in the world, you're free of cares, and gosh, we all like to be like you, to be able to stand up and make a speech and all that. I don't do any of those things without at some point feeling anxious. One has to confront these situations. If you avoid them, it's not great because there's always that little bit in your memory which says, I can't do that, I was never able to do that. So even if you tried and failed, at least you did it and it wasn't so bad. Anxiety can feel horrible and sometimes we will fail, but it's worth giving it a go and testing it out and staying in those situations. Um, and sometimes you're and sometimes you're hungry. But it's probably better not to sort of just retreat into ourselves and withdraw. Okay. So I'll stop there. If you've got any questions?